1: This is The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC.
2: Hi, it's Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And please, you should read me. And if you cannot read, you can listen to me, as you are now, on WABC every Sunday from 1 to 2. Meantime, I'm going to mumble. I want to tell you about a a lawsuit that's on tap. It starts with director Francis Ford Coppola, and his cast was Al Pacino, Marlon Brando, Gianni Russo, James Caan, Diane Keaton, Talia Shire, and the movie The Godfather. The rating, it was considered at that time the best film ever made. Now, back in the old days, there was a lawyer who was now retired. His name was Barry Slotnick. He knew the players, and he's the one who got Johnny Russo his role. That was 1972. This is now 2022. Johnny's current lawyer, since Barry Slotnick is retired, his current lawyer is Barry's lawyer son, Stuart Slotnick, who just filed an anti-defamation suit on behalf of Johnny Russo. Yeah, why? He says to me, I am now 80. I am upset. I am suing the producer of our movie, The Godfather, whose name was Al Ruddy. Al Ruddy was my friend 50 years. We even traveled together. I'm suing because of what he is saying about me and that Godfather movie. Like, he says... There was one scene we did all these years ago where Talia Shira is crying. And my character, whose name was Carlo Rizzi, he is standing ten feet away. Coppola is slapping her legs with a belt. She is padded. He's barely touching her. It was all choreographed. Me, I never hit her. Says Johnny Russo, now, a quarter of a century later, our producer, Al Ruddy, is schlepping around the world doing the offer. It is a special evening and conversations about this film. And he's telling audiences the backstories of how certain scenes were made. And he included how I hit... Talia Shira. No, I did not. It's the first time I ever heard this. Never ever have I beat up a woman. Never ever have I touched a woman or Talia with my hand. Understand that Talia's parents were on the set as we filmed. And my own mother, says Johnny Russo, my own mother had been beaten. And she was institutionalized. So believe me, I am very aware of this. And my grandchildren, who heard that I supposedly hit her, got upset. Even Talia's manager actually told me that our then-producer Al Ruddy actually said that, said that I hit her. So I listened to his story, and I said, yeah, okay, so? So what? It happened a lifetime ago. He says I'm upset. And Stuart Slotnick, my new lawyer, is now suing the producer, Al Ruddy, for defamation. So I said, Why? People now say, 20 years ago, I once was charming and lovable. So he said, Johnny, we'll get a lawyer. You should now sue them. OK. Speaking of lawyers, there's a New York court system. And I happen to know a defendant who suddenly realized his entire life was in the hands of all 12 people who weren't smart enough to get off doing jury duty. But that's only in New York, kids. Only in New York. i got lots of other things I want to tell you. I'm going to tell you some other things. Right now, I want to tell you I don't know what's up with our hopefully Temp mayor and what he is not doing for this city, which is down. It is so bad that, listen to me, an East Side socialist, no, socialite, an East Side socialite in a high rent district wrote her co residence, and I received one of the letters. In it, She said, and I didn't know this lady, she said, We just had Cellini Jewelers robbed. It is in a high-level area. Plus, also, just last night around 7 p.m.-ish, our staff who were monitoring the door and the lobby witnessed two muggings through the window. One was three teenagers. The other was a kid. Riding the sidewalk on an electric scooter. Both, you should understand, occurred in a prime rent district. This lady, whom I never met, writes, Let us approach other residential buildings to see is there an interest in hiring security to profile on foot as a visible sign of deterrence in the neighborhood. She said, this sad state of affairs impacts the safety and the quality of life of each of us, including our children. And so I will close this, before I go to my first interview, by saying, may our mayor, Jerk Adams, read this en route to a camera. Covering his next cocktail party. Thanks. And we are now on to our first interview, which you don't want to miss. And there's a station break, and I'll be right back. All the
1: dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on. 77 WABC.
2: I am about to speak with John Lithgow. He has so many awards that he keeps them as doorstops. He is now off-Broadway in a play called Everything's Fine. It's a TR2 theater. John, whom I love dearly, tell me, what is this play, Everything's Fine, about? Where is it? When does it open? When does it close? What's, what is it?
1: Okay, Cindy, here's the deal. Uh- It's a solo show written and performed by that wonderful writer, Douglas McGrath. It's called everything's fine. It's at the beautiful little uh, 99 seat DR two theater, the Daryl Roth two on East 15th street, right on union square. And we we opened just last night after two weeks of previews. And this show is an absolute gem. People are just loving it. It, it's a basically an evening of wonderful storytelling by Doug, who's a, he's a great writer. Uh, he's more a writer than an actor, but he's a brilliant storyteller. And I have staged it for him. He just sent it to me out of the blue. I'd never met Doug, but we've become extremely good friends working on this. I read this piece and it just came alive in my hands and. So he persuaded me to direct something for the first time in 45 years.
2: Not that you're not great. We all know how wonderful John Lithgow is. But why did he fetch you out of it instead of somebody else he might have known?
1: Well, it was a mystery to me, too. But I I think it was because I had created my own solo show about 10 years ago. You and I talked about that also, Stories by Heart. Yeah, uh, I, I he sent he sent the piece to his good friend, Andre Bishop, who directs the Lincoln Center Theater. Yeah, And the Lincoln Center Theater is where I developed my solo show 10 or 12 years ago with Jack O'Brien. And uh, Andre said, well, it's great. It needs work. You need a director and the director should be John. Uh, so <laughs> that's how that's wh- how and why he came to me. Uh, and I really I. You can imagine this the last thing I was thinking of is directing anything, but uh, I've got a pretty busy actor's life these days.
2: Yeah, I heard, uh, I heard, I heard. But <laughs> you, you have directed before. What does it take to direct a stage play? That's a dumb, dumb question, but it's different. How do you do it sitting outside when normally you're on the stage? How do you know how to do that?
1: Well, I was kind of making up it up as I went along. It, it, it was unique directing a solo show, of course. Yeah, uh, I did I did direct a lot until I was about maybe 30 years old. Uh, you, you know, I grew up in a theater family, and I directed for my dad in, in regional theater, mostly. I directed at the McCarter Theater in Princeton and Baltimore Center Stage and Long Wharf Theater. I did direct in New York for the Phoenix Theater Company, but mainly I was trying to, I was tap dancing until somebody would hire me as an actor. And and in, in 1973, I had my Broadway debut and three weeks later I won a Tony award for it. And I haven't been, uh, uh, out of work as an actor ever since, so
2: yeah, I've heard right. of you i heard you i've heard, I've heard <laughs> of you so if you're directing and because you are John Lithgow, do you ever get on stage and push the guy off and tell him "No, honey, this is the way it's supposed to go
1: <laughs> well, I'm a little more delicate than that,
2: yeah, but, how. But.
1: But, but, but the, well, the wonderful thing is Doug is so incredibly, uh, open and positive and, and not remotely defensive about his acting. He is, we, it was a true collaboration. I mean, it, 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 he could sit in a chair and simply re- recite this entire 90 minute piece to the audience and it would be compelling. But but I devised a a a, a way of presenting it uh, as I told you it involves uh, his school days and yeah. eighth grade eighth grade year so I've created a, a sort of abstract classroom there ten chairs two desks and a teacher's desk and a big swivel chair that's it that's the set and he he manipulates these chairs to create different settings because there are five or six or seven different settings in his story and about maybe six or seven major characters. So we, we have managed to give a sort of physical presentation of this story without, uh, without making it overtly theatrical, but it's much more than just a recitation. Okay. And, and it was it was just a matter of spending lots and lots of time together in a rehearsal room.
2: How long is that show planning to run?
1: Well, until Doug gets tired of performing it, and uh, people that could stop. be
2: in an hour. How long? I mean, does it have a, a certain amount of time booked in?
1: We're we're selling tickets to January, okay, uh, and uh, and we'll see how it goes. He's ready to do it forever. Uh, he loves doing it. And it's it's so personal to him. He's, it's just in his nature to share his own story.
2: Tell me about the difficulties now of going to the theater. I mean, what do you do if you see some idiot taking out a, a phone and you see a light going on? What do you do in a 70-minute show and nobody can get out for intermission if they have to pee? How do you do all that? Uh-huh.
1: Well, I mean, the one great thing about doing a solo show is you're constantly uh, talking directly to the audience. Uh, now, when I did my solo show for at the Roundabout, uh, I, I, I devised a little trick. There was a, a, a long passage in the show, which was a short story by Ring Lardner called Haircut, yeah. which was the barber. Uh, every word was spoken by the, a barber giving a full shaven haircut all in mime to an invisible customer, a newcomer in small. Yeah,
2: I remember that. Time. Yep.
1: Remember that great show? Yeah, joke? sure, I did. Of so, course. So whenever, whenever there was a, a cell phone went off, I would just continue my shaven and haircut, and I would grumble, "All oh, that damned ice cream truck," and it was always the biggest, <laughs> biggest laugh of the evening. So you know, you work out little devices, and are I you, taught Doug a few. <laughs> so.
2: Are you there for we, every single show?
1: I have been until today. So now he's, he's, I've, I've thrust him out of the nest, and he's taken flight.
2: Tell me Actually, about opening night. What was it like? Who was there? Was it show people, oh, it and was
1: actors? Oh, so wonderful! The one thing about the great thing about working with Doug is he's got so many great friends in 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 and out of show business in New York. Uh, we had Nathan Lane. Live Danner was there. Jerry Zachs, that fabulous director, and, and Jerry yeah. Mitch, Mitchell. Uh, it, it was it was all our buddies, and it, so we, and, and and as I say. Ninety-nine seats. It's like it's like holding a <laughs> piece of a piece of theater. I in your my closet room.
2: is larger than that place. I know, I know all about it. What oh, about so what, what about dealing with? I know I know how wonderful this guy is. You've you've said that. But have you ever had to deal on stage or whatever or in the movie with an unruly or pain in the ass difficult actor?
1: Oh my God! Yes, of course. Well, how fact, do you do with that? How do I, you deal I've, with it? Listen, Cindy. I've been one myself. <laughs> you know, probably was, yeah. still
2: are, honey. But how do you do that? How do you do that when 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 you're working with another I, actor?
1: I think the the best policy is simply honesty. And I, I mean, I, I have to tell you, it's extremely rare. Actors have an uh, an, an unfair reputation of being difficult and being prima donnas. There are very, very few difficult people I've worked with, more in movies than in theater. Theater is like an artisan's guild. I mean, we're all craftspeople. You don't get hired unless you know what you're doing and can conduct yourself like a, a gentleman or a lady of the theater. That's one thing I just love about it. That's why I always come back. Whereas movies, I don't know, there are a lot of grandees. Who have a lot of power, uh, and 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 it's a very hierarchical business. Um, fortunately, I'm sort of toward the, the high end of that hierarchy, but there yeah, are always we understand
2: people that, on, of course, of course, of course. But, <laughs> but, there,
1: but there are people far higher up than I on the ladder, and uh, it's tricky. It's tricky. You just have to be honest and 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 comport yourself.
2: Well, you're in a hit TV show called The Old Man. Are there any plans for ongoing seasons?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we'll start working on it right after the new year. Uh, And I can't wait. I've had such a wonderful time working with that magnificent man, Jeff Jeff Bridges. Uh, and he's great no, no, he's, I, he's just he, great he's so great he's so great have you you must have talked to him yes anytime.
2: i do i know him i know him i i thought he'd not been too well for a while but i i do know him
1: well so, that's one of the one of the beautiful things about the series is he's he has survived his medical problems we had to shut it down for 18 months and he's just better than ever
2: tell me then how do you i didn't think about that Tell me if you're shutting something down that's successful for 18 months, how do you redirect it? How do you come back together again?
1: Well, I, I was actually, I was nervous about it. We were all anxious about it. But but somehow we fell into, back into stride almost immediately. I mean, I'd, for, I'd practically forgotten my character's name, let alone <laughs> that very, very complicated storyline. But it all came back. And, and the the interesting thing about this series, uh, the story kept De- uh, Jeff and me apart until the last two episodes. So I had not yet acted with him at all. We'd only had one scene together, and that was a long telephone call in which the script supervisor played Jeff's part. So I hadn't worked with him at all. And I couldn't, you know, he was a big reason why I wanted to do this series. I had a great time working with Alia Shawkat, uh, who plays my young protege in it, but I was waiting and waiting and waiting to work with Jeff. And when we finally got together and did those last two great episodes, it was yeah. so worth, worth waiting for. It was. It was
2: a but, shock. John, how about all the actors? I mean, they weren't just hanging around for all of these months to be called back. How did, you get, how did they get them all back together again?
1: Well, Cindy, we were like the rest of the entire world's population. Everything was in, in suspension for a year. Yeah, uh, you know, remember, 2020 was a missing year in our lives in so many ways. Uh, so, you know, we just faced the same problems everybody faced, which was resuming life—a uh, sort of compromised version of our lives until things got back to normal. But it was—it was a blessing to have the old man to go back to, because we had loved all the work we'd done before it all shut down. And we, for a long time, we were quite anxious that it may never be completed.
2: Tell me, since I've never had an Oscar, where do you keep yours? And do you shine them? Do you spit on them every once in a while and polish them? What do you do with these these awards? Where do you have them? Cindy,
1: I would like to thank you. You've just made me into an Oscar winner. (laughs) I've never, well you've I've won, never won everything I, else
2: I, you've won you've won so yeah, many things
1: I've had a couple of nominations, but you know i at a certain point this will sound like humble bragging but i've I've won too many of these things to put on display uh, literally oh, I, please. I've won,
2: oh please john you know, come on will no, you please
1: honest, honestly i I have six Emmy Awards I, you don't put those uh, on it, it to me, uh, Listen, I'm a I'm a a Boston Puritan by nature. Uh, I'm not that I'm not that showy. I use them as the as elegant doorstops. I have six doorstops sort of positioned around my house.
2: Doorstops? You're using awards as doorstops? You're going to shoot me?
1: You're kidding? The 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 Emmy Award is the perfect (laughs) doorstop.
2: Where is it? Where? What door does it stop? The toilet? No, what? No, no. What are you telling me? What?
1: There there are six doors on the second <laughs> floor of my house. Oh, no, no. One of them is downstairs.
2: <laughs> and you actually have them as doors? Aren't you ashamed? Aren't you embarrassed? No, no. I,
1: listen, I'm very proud of them. But what better use to put them to?
2: I don't know. Somebody I know, I can't remember who at the moment, because... My brain did, but but somebody once told me they put them in their toilet. I said, why why in the toilet? They said, well, somebody always goes there when they visit me, so that's where oh, they no. see them.
1: No, no, I don't do that. No, these are these are the best rooms in the house.
2: Do you at least shine them and polish them a little?
1: They're in good shape. Yes, they 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 look just fine. Okay, but honestly, I've got two Tony Awards. I've got. Two SAG awards. I've got a couple of Golden Globes. It, 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 I can play checkers with these damn.
2: Well, how many doors do you have? No, no,
1: the, those I don't use as door. I like to have matching doorstops.
2: Oh, gee, so you, you're, you're making yeah. me kill kill myself. So, what do you do? With, what do you do with these other things, like? OBs or some stupid thing like that. What do you do with those?
1: They're they're just in storage, honestly. Oh, sorry.
2: Okay. All right. (laughs) Back to your play before you hang up on me. Everything's fine. What else do you want to tell me about it besides that it's great and wonderful?
1: Well, it's it's quite unique because Doug is a a humorous writer. I mean, he's a serious and very smart man, but he writes with great wit. So it's a play that begins amusing people. And then it intrigues them. It, then it intrigues them, then it troubles them, then it shocks them, and then it really moves them. Uh, and, and it's a rare piece of any theater to pull that off, not let alone a one-man show. What, what I love about it is, you know we're all sort of creeping back into theaters these days after the long shutdown. And it seems to me to be just the essence of theater. It's going back to hear a wonderful story being told, sitting well, in a small audience and feeling that intimacy with a great performer.
2: Well, I thank you because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to have you on, and I love you, John Lithgow. Indeed. Thank you, honey. Thank you know the you.
1: other—you know the other great thing about this what? is it takes me back to theater days in the 1970s, and that's when you and I had our very first conversations. So.
2: Long time, honey. Long time. And you are the best. You are the best. Thank Thank you, you, sweetie. Thank you, darling.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. Until next time. Okay, honey. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC.
2: Randy Weingarten is president of the American Federation of Teachers Union. She just, but just, returned from an official State Department-sanctioned trip to Ukraine. We are now going to speak with Randy Weingarten. We all know her. She is famous as President of the American Federation of Teachers, and she has just returned from abroad, and she's going to tell me about it. Where were you? I was in Poland and Ukraine. Well, okay. How and why? How did this come about?
0: So, you know, we um, in mean, our union has had a long history of working on on helping kids thrive, helping families thrive, helping promote democracy here and abroad. We've helped fight against child labor. We've helped um, try to um, change apartheid in South Africa. We helped the... Polish trade unions, you know, um, have freedom in Poland, in the Solidarność movement. So we've had a long relationship with the Ukrainian unions and Ukrainian teachers. um, And this war that Russia has waged against them is a war for their self-determination and a war for their dignity and a war for their freedom. And we have been working with them. For a long time and um, thought and they had asked us over and over again to come to Ukraine so that people feel like they're not abandoned. And we thought it was going to be a safe time to go. Um, Didn't expect that there would be, you know, um, that Russia would once again start with missiles. Um, But that's why we went to connect with them to make sure that they're not abandoned. And what we saw and heard from teachers it was just incredible and moving. They are really nation builders.
2: Okay. Before we go into a whole lot of questions that I want to know, how did you communicate with the people in the Ukraine? Because for some of us, it's difficult. Their phones are not working. Their internet's not working. So how did you communicate?
0: Well, we communicated through WhatsApp, um, and which is a pretty incredible tech servicing and message servicing. And, You know, sometimes their phones aren't working and sometimes, you know, and, and sometimes the internet does go down. But, um, Ukrainians and, um, have, um, and have created, um, and are very, very proficient in terms of, of, uh, technology. Um, and you see that in terms of the world. And they are, and, you know, I give the, I give, um, President Zelensky a lot of credit. They are, very much trying to show Russia that Russia is not going to defeat them, so um, over the course of the last several months, many people have returned to their homes, particularly in the you know middle of the country, and the west, the east, and the south um, southeast are really war zones and have you- um, but you know you just try and you and we 've been able to get through and we 've been able to you know
2: use technology to get through. Have you been there before?
0: Yes, I was there in two thousand and fourteen when the uh, when when uh, this movement for freedom and to kick out Russian intervention was really at its height. And in fact, the war really started. uh, Russia Russia really started this war against Ukraine in two thousand fourteen. But I was there um, in fourteen when Kiev was frankly, still, you know, on fire to some extent um, during the Maidan um, revolution. And uh, we were um, in support of unions um, whose, uh, you know, headquarters had been bombed by uh, um, evidently by um, the, uh, the Russian affiliated forces.
2: What did you learn from the teachers and the students or where did you go? What did they tell you? Tell us.
0: So what we did was we arranged to meet in Lvov, which is the westernmost big city. Um, It's about you know an hour um, off of the Polish. It's it's about half an hour to an hour off of the Polish border. Um, And what the um, teachers' unions did there was they brought all of their representatives. To so we had, you know, it, it, one of the first meetings looked like we were in the Security um, Council of the U.N., a big U-shaped table with representatives from the entire country um, wanting to um, bear witness and wanting to tell us our, their stories. And in fact, we were joined by um, Dr. Irwin Redliner and his wife, Karen Redliner, who has started the Ukrainian um Action Children's Fund to help in terms of um, mental health and well-being and to deal with trauma of you, for Ukrainian, you know, uh, children. So what we learned was in, look, it's really moving. The teachers, regardless of what circumstances are going on or in their community are trying to teach kids. This year, there's a lot of schools that are open in person, obviously not in the South and not in the you know in the, in the east. What about not
2: what about the their schools. their what about their needs, their books, their their blackboards, their their their
0: yeah. pencils no, in, the, in the in in lots of the areas in the country that are not in a hot hot war schools are open and they really made schools open and they are really trying schools have to have bomb shelters to be able to open. And so kids are learning in school. Now the week that we were there because of the bombing, everything went back to remote, but kids have, you know, they're, they're learning with their teachers, either remotely or in person. They're getting books and supplies um, some of these things we are supporting them with. We 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 help buy a bunch of computers for the um, for displaced teachers who are actually working with children from you know the union headquarters in Lvov, and so you have lots of displaced teachers in the south and in the east. You know places that we've heard on TV. You know, places where, where there's a hot war, like you know, like the Luhansk region and then the Donbas region and Mariupol, and you know, and places around Crimea. And so you have, you you know, there is a war going on there. But they understand that kids need to have schooling, and and the teachers in Ukraine are trying to do the best they can to create the relationships and the resilience, and to focus on schooling.
2: Randy, what about the children? Did you speak to the children? Are they scared? Are they terrified? what
0: Well yeah uh, well look we're we spoke to some children. We were supposed to be in schools on um on Tuesday, but you know the bombing had started on Monday, and so all the schools um last week went to remote. So we spoke to some children, not as many children as we thought, which spoke and and of course, people are scared. But they're also really resilient. There is a sense that they know whose side they are on, and they want to have Ukraine as a free country, as a democratic country. They're fighting for their self-determination. And so, you know, part of what we try to do in America through elections, free and fair elections, Making sure that 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 we have freedom in this country, everyone has freedom in this country. They are doing that under the you know under rocket shells. Uh, I understand that.
2: I understand that. Tell me if they're in a bomb shelter, do they have yes. what we a, a blackboard? Do they have erasers? Do they have books? Well, How does it work? Well, Cindy, we so you know we weren't in every bomb shelter in the country. We were in.
0: Every as Most of the bomb shelters are basically basements or basically yeah. yes, you know, yes, I know. Yeah. stations. Yeah. So, for example, since this was not anticipated that there would be, you know, 150 shells or whatever it was between Tuesday and Wednesday, I think it was 88 or 120 shells that came in from Russia with Ukrainian drones into the country. You know, people went into bomb shelters. They went into shelters, you know, they, they, they went into shelters across the country. Some of them had blackboards, some of them don't. Some of the places you could see in, like, the subway stations in Kiev, you know, kids were singing and parents and teachers were told to take their minds off. Well, it is really terrifying. So it's terrifying, but what I saw was a resilience around the country or around with the people that we were talking to, that they want to win this war. They see Russia as an aggressor. They see Russia as terrifying civilians. They they see what Russia is doing to them, and they are banding together across ideological lines
2: um, to fight for Ukraine. Okay. Tell me now, who supported your your trip? The U.S. State Department, how did this actually get done?
0: Well, the state, this is, you know, we have been um, working, you know, we we have as part of our union an international department and we have a budget for international work that gets, um, that is part of our budget. And we communicate to our members about this. So we did not get any money from the State Department or anything else to go and do this. We are an independent union, but we did actually ask the State Department. You know, and we we, we made sure that that, that the State Department and that um, the appropriate officials in the United States government, including the ambassadors to Ukraine and the ambassadors to Poland, as well as the Ukrainian ambassadors to the United States, all knew about the trip and approved the trip.
2: Did you have security?
0: Yes, of course. I mean, we're in the middle of a war, so we, you know, made sure that we had security with us and, you know, who understood what the situation was and um, what we needed to do.
2: How long were you there?
0: Uh, We were actually in Ukraine, per se, from Monday night to Thursday morning. We we left Ukraine. Um, We saw, we had on on my mobile device, I had, um, you know, the bomb raid, the uh, the air raid sirens, and so as we were leaving the country and crossing the Polish border, um, we saw the air raid sirens on Thursday go off again, and we ourselves were in air raid shelters on Tuesday Tuesday when the um, air raid sirens went off.
2: Was there any moment that you were really terrified for your own life? No.
0: I mean, let me just say, I was, what I was concerned about was I had a group of people with me and I felt very responsible and everybody made, you know, we made every, you know, I, I wanted the people who were with me to know that they didn't have to be there and they could go home anytime we had additional cards could do that. But everyone who was with me wanted to be, wanted to be this trip because we were bearing witness to, you know, atrocities that others, that, that Russia was doing. And, and, and if we could help tell the story of Ukrainian kids and Ukrainian teachers who, despite all odds, are really trying to help um, build a future, that was what our job was and, and how we help um, a citizenry, um, you know, deal with the ravages of war that is started by, you know, in a, in a brutal way, the, the terrifying um, attacks they've done by the Russian government, by Putin, and we felt like we had a role to play in terms of telling their story.
2: How did you start originally back in the Stone Age as a teacher?
0: Because <laughs> I wanted to make a difference in the lives of children. My Where'd you go taught. to school? Where'd you go to school? My mom, my mom was a second grade teacher. I grew up in Rockland County, New York. So I grew up about 30 miles, 20, 30 miles up from New York City. My mother grew up actually in Rockland County in Nyack. And she was a school teacher for 29 years, and you know, I wanted to make a difference in the lives of people. I didn't expect that I would be in the job I'm in right now, um, but I was both. You know, I was trained as a lawyer and tra- and and uh, worked as a school teacher. I worked at Clara Barton High School in Brooklyn, New York, and I, you know, it was hard, but I loved every minute of it. I loved, I, you know, and 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 I love when I see my kids who are now, you know you know, in, who have now far past college and, you know, and have, you know, and are in different, you know, I have, I have kids who I taught as 11th and 12th graders who are lawyers now, who are doctors now, who are teachers now. But, you know, teachers make a difference in the lives of kids, and they need to be respected, and they need to have the conditions, they need to do their jobs, and they need to have decent salaries.
2: Did you always like your teachers?
0: Um, I, you know, I liked a lot of my teachers, there were some of my teachers who gave me a hard time and in retrospect, I like them, I, I respect them now more than, uh, than I ever did. My, my English teacher in 11th grade, who, you know, I adored, gave me a really hard time and it was really, really tough on me. And when I didn't do my homework, you know, there was one day that I had a pop that I hadn't done my homework. And in big, big red letters he ra- wrote, A2 <laughs> root, taught me to do my homework. But, you know, so so teachers, but teachers really helped me become myself. And, you know, I, I really, I'm, I, I cherish them, and it is an honor for me to represent them.
2: Thank you, babe. I know you came out Thank of you. a speech to talk to me, and I love you for doing that. Thank you, thank you, thank thank you you for what you're doing, Randy. Thank you. Thanks, honey.
1: It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC.
2: Thank you for listening. And now I just want to say a few things. I want to mumble for a minute or two. We have crate loads of illegals arriving via unofficial channels. We don't know them. We don't know if they are healthy, sane, if they're thieves, killers, or haters. I have figured out the solution. We should unload their trash and encampments on Delaware's empty beach, right outside Hunter's wallet and Biden's walker. And on the West coast, we should pick Pelousy's front door, snuggle them in inside her soused husband's car. I just thought that I would, I would mention those things to you. And now we have a coming election. Our area votes mostly Democrat incumbents. We will have Republican inroads because they're more motivated to vote these days. Giuliani in the old time and Bloomberg made us the most awesome place. We were clean. We were famous. We were going out at night. We were walking the streets. It was the capital of the world, and in eight years, de Blasio and his mathematics-enhanced wife destroyed it, destroyed Manhattan, and they did nothing for anybody else. What he did is criminal. Now I'm going to talk about some other things I want to get off my chest. I want to talk about what is up With our hopefully temp mayor. Jerk Adams, this city is down. It is so bad that everybody is talking what we should do with our city. I have an idea what we should do with our city. We should get rid of the mayor. If England could get rid of its prime minister after she was in office for an hour and a half, why can't we get rid of our mayor, who does only one thing? He zips up and he faces a camera. And soon, since he's not that bright, he will probably forget to zip up, but he will still face the camera. I just felt I have to say that. And if you don't know what to do with your time and you're staying home and you're twiddling your thumbs, let me tell you what I discovered. You should twiddle them over a bow and arrow. Flushing has a place called Queen's Archery. A man called Al Lizio L-I-Z-Z-I-O, he told me that at age 20, I started doing this. I said, doing what? He said, I was caught in a snowstorm. I was in a house in the Berkshires. Friends came over to party, and they brought a bow and arrow. With nothing else to do, I started shooting arrows. It became addictive, progressive. I needed more professional equipment all of a sudden. So then a light bulb went off in my house. The result is 33 years I have been on 39th Avenue in Queens. Now, the Olympics even include archery, as did movies like the Hunger Games with Jennifer Lawrence. Even an insurance commercial uses it as a prop. Our instructors now can teach a mandatory, simple 15 minute lesson, and young and old, male and female, Returnees are now trying it on a regular basis. Look, archery develops focus, self-esteem. A kid of nine was here practicing patience. It is not a weapon. It is not like a hunting point is on it, not on our arrows. You cannot shoot outside New York. The real weapon in sports is is golf clubs we all keep hitting one another we have tournaments championships our first lesson at our archery is free thereafter we rent the bow at thirty dollars you can buy arrows arm guards quivers related equipment all of it is cheap maybe the whole thing will cost you six thousand dollars Here, you just take bows out of the case, and we teach you in 15 minutes. So now we are coming to the end of this absolutely magnificent broadcast. So let us not knock the American business system. Whenever America comes up with a new idea, one month later, the Russians invent it, The Chinese copy it, the Koreans claim it, and the Japanese sell it to us cheaper. So now I am coming to an end. I have loved you all dearly. You can catch me again next Sunday on WABC, AM on the Dial, 770, from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock. And thank you very, very much for listening. And I might add, I very much appreciate the letters you are sending me that don't say, Dear Stupid. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Goodbye.